Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call, pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. This week finds us cruising through the rolling, wooded hills of Vermont. I mentioned an episode or two ago, but fall is really an amazing time of year to be in this neck of the woods. There are few places in the world where death and decay are quite as vibrant and beautiful and well-photographed. The deep reds, oranges, and yellows of dying foliage is undeniably beautiful, almost surreal. 
but it's also the sign of things to come. The frigid temperatures, piercing winds, and heavy white blanket of snow that come with Vermont winters. Weathering winters like this isn't something many people look forward to. The first few months of the year are dark, long, and often bitterly cold. But as much as a discomfort as they are for us now, back in the late 1800s, they were downright perilous. With limited food and fuel to keep the stoves and stomachs full through the long winter months, it often came down to a game of numbers. The more mouths to feed and the more bodies to heat, the thinner supplies were stretched. But one Vermont family, it turns out, had come up with a pretty unique way of solving that problem. The method came to light in the December 21, 1887 issue of the Montpelier Argus and Patriot after a reporter discovered his Uncle William's old diary. In it, Uncle William describes a winter trip he'd taken to northern Vermont. There, he ran across a poor farming community who lived in the isolated countryside. Despite their state of near poverty, the families were very warm and considerate hosts. But it wasn't long before William discovered he'd arrived at a very fortuitous time. Just in time for the family's winter ritual. A ritual designed to stretch their resources as far as possible to help weather the bitter winter ahead. The following are excerpts from Uncle William's journal recording his experience. I think he can tell the story better than I ever could. January 7th I went on the mountain today and witnessed what to me was a horrible sight. It seems that the dwellers there who are unable, either from age or other reasons, to contribute to the support of their families are disposed of in the winter months in a manner that will shock the one who reads this diary, unless that person lives in that vicinity. I will describe what I saw. Six persons, four men and two women, one of the men a cripple about thirty years old, the other five past the age of usefulness, lay on the earthy floor of the cabin, drugged into insensibility, while members of their families gathered about them in apparent indifference. In a short time the unconscious bodies were inspected by several old people, who said, They are ready. They were then stripped of all their clothing except a single garment. Then, the bodies were carried outside and laid on logs exposed to the bitter cold mountain air, the operation having been delayed several days for suitable weather. It was night when the bodies were carried out, and the full moon occasionally, obscured by flying clouds, shone on their upturned ghastly faces, and a horrible fascination kept me by the bodies as long as I could endure the severe cold. Soon the noses and ears and fingers began to turn white. Then the limbs and face assumed a tallow look. I could stand the cold no longer and went inside, 
where I found the friends in cheerful conversation. In about an hour, I went out and looked at the bodies. They were fast freezing. I could not shut out the sight of those freezing bodies outside. Neither could I bear to be in darkness, but I piled on the wood in the cavernous fireplace and seated on a shingle block past the dreary night, terror-stricken by the horrible sights I had witnessed. January 8th We shall want our men to plant our corn next spring, said a youngish-looking woman, the wife of one of the frozen men. And if you want to see them resuscitated, you come here about the 10th of next May. Here his journal breaks away from the tale of the frozen family members as he goes about other business, before returning, as promised, to the small farmstead in spring. May 10th The men commenced work at once, some shoveling away the snow and others tearing away the brush. Soon the box was visible. The cover was taken off, the layers of straw removed, and the bodies, frozen and apparently lifeless, lifted out and laid on the snow. Large troughs made of hemlock logs were placed nearby, filled with tepid water, into which the bodies were separately placed, with the head slightly raised. Boiling water was then poured into the trough from kettles hung on poles nearby, until the water in the trough was as hot as I could hold my hand in. Hemlock boughs had been put in the boiling water in such quantities that they had given the water the color of wine. After lying in this bath for about an hour, color began to return to the bodies when all hands began rubbing and chafing them. This continued about another hour, when a slight twitching of the muscles of the face and limbs, followed by audible gasps, showed that life was not quenched, and that vitality was returning. Spirits were then given in small quantities, and allowed to trickle down their throats. Soon they could swallow, and more was given them, when their eyes opened and they began to talk, and finally sat up in their bathtubs. They were then taken out and assisted to the house, where, after a hearty dinner, they seemed as well as ever, and in no wise injured, but rather refreshed by their long sleep of four months. Thawed and rested, the story goes on to tell how the resuscitated family members helped with the planting season. But after that, William never really speaks of it again that I was able to find. The story of the deep frozen folks is one that's embedded itself deep into the lore of Vermont. And while I don't doubt their ability to freeze the bodies of the old and infirm, thawing them out? Well, that's another story. Speaking of stories, I think it's time for some fiction. We have one tale for you this evening, which comes to us from Rose Blackthorne. Rose Blackthorne lives in the high mountain desert, but longs for the sea. She is a writer, dog mom, jewelry maker, avowed coffee drinker, and photographer, 
She has been writing for as long as she can remember, and her short fiction and poetry have appeared online and in print with a varied list of anthologies and magazines beginning in 2010. Her collection, Beautiful Broken Things, was released in May 2018 and is available both in electronic format and paperback. Children of the Night, join me for Rose Blackthorn's In the Dark, originally published in the anthology Fear of the Dark, from Sirens Call Press, July 2014. The sun had set, and in a remarkably short time, the ambient light in the sky had faded. As soon as it really got dark, that's when the ruckus started. The two dogs ran back and forth along the back fence, barking, barking, barking. They lived in a rural area, and there were no houses to be seen beyond the back fence, just fields with weeds and trees, and eventually another fence off in the distance. What do you think is out there? Tristan asked. She tried to sound nonchalant and slightly disinterested, but there was a low current of unease in her voice. They'd only lived here for a month, and she wasn't used to the quiet or the lack of other people. Could be a lot of things, her father Jim replied as he put the last of the washed and dried dinner dishes away in the cupboard. Rabbits or raccoons, even birds. He closed the cabinet door and cocked his head, listening to the ongoing barrage of sound. Although it could be coyotes, too. Maybe we should call them back in here. Tristan nodded and went to the back screen door. There was a light switch on the wall beside it, and she flipped it on. The bulb outside wasn't very bright, so the light didn't quite reach all the way to the fence. Blue! She called through the screen, then... Brutus, come on, you two. Time for bed. The dogs must have looked back at the house to where she stood, silhouetted in the doorway, because she saw eerie reflections from their eyes. Blue was bigger, so her eyes were higher and a little farther apart. Brutus was a terrier mix, only 10 or 12 pounds, but his eye shine was almost as high as the bitch's because he was standing on his back feet, front paws braced on the chain-link fence. Come on, time to come in, she called again and clapped her hands together sharply, making her palms sting. But they just turned away from her and went on with their barking, dashing back and forth along the length of the fence as though looking for a way through to the dark fields beyond. Stubborn little shits, Jim said, but he was smiling. He went to the little hidden closet tucked inside the laundry room, just off the kitchen, and came back with a BB gun. He had put the gun there, making sure it was loaded, just in case they had any problems with wild animals getting inside the fence. Now he pumped it a couple of times and told Tristan, Open the door, T. When she did, he stepped out onto the patio and whistled, a sharp, piercing sound that silenced the dogs. Come on, dogs, now! 
he called, and the authoritative tone in his voice did the trick. Reluctantly, they left the fence and trotted across the yard. Get in the house, he added, when they hesitated at the edge of the patio. Blue tucked her tail and scooted through the open door. Brutus, true to his feisty nature, yipped once in canine defiance, then raced into the house. Shut the door. I'm going to go take a look. Okay. She pulled the screen door shut, but watched as her dad walked across the lumpy back lawn and onto the bare earth and gravel that paralleled the fence. Jim pulled a mini-mag light out of his pocket and shined it through the fence into the field. A light breeze was tripping through the yard, catching the corners of his eyes as weeds shifted and moved. He heard bats squeaking from somewhere to the west, but couldn't see them. Crickets chirped and frogs croaked in an unpracticed but measured orchestra. After a couple of minutes, he decided there must have been a rabbit hopping through the field that caught the dog's attention. Something glinted, and he turned his head, the flashlight following. In a stand of cottonwood and poplar near the northern fence line, a pair of what had to be animal eyes glowed back in him. Even with the flashlight, he couldn't see anything but the eye shine. The animal, whatever it was, was too well camouflaged among the trees and high weeds. The little hairs on the back of his neck stood up, straining away from his skin, and a chill skittered down his spine with little insect feet. The animal, coyote, or even a cougar, stood taller, only its reflective eyes showing its movement as the breeze shook the branches and the June grass shuddered in waves. Jim turned the gun, sliding the barrel through the fence, and pulled the trigger twice. He didn't aim for the intruder, as he didn't know for sure what it was. He shot several feet to the left, wishing he had brought out the twenty-two instead. At least then, there would have been the sound of a gunshot instead of the wimpy sound that the BB gun produced. The animal snarled, but so quietly, it was almost lost among the other night sounds. Then the thing melted into the darkness and disappeared. When he went back to the house, Tristan was still standing at the screen door, both dogs at her feet, waiting for him. Some kind of animal out there, Jim said, but it's gone now. He pushed the wooden door shut behind him, double-checking that it latched and flipped off the outside light. We'll just have to keep an eye on the dogs. If a coyote or bobcat got into the yard with them, they might get hurt. We're okay, though, right? Tristan asked, picking up Brutus and cuddling him against her side while she watched her dad put the BB gun back in its hiding place. A coyote couldn't get in the house? No worries, sweetheart, Jim said, and put his arm around her comfortingly. The last few months had been difficult for him, but infinitely harder on his daughter. There had been the bad breakup and then divorce, followed by Tristan's mother Sylvia announcing that she didn't want custody. In fact, she refused it. Although Jim had tried to explain to Tristan about her mother's mental illness and ongoing substance abuse problems, there was no good way to tell a teenage girl that her mom just didn't want her around anymore. Dinner was finished and the dishes put away, but it was still too early for bed. Jim sat on the couch and turned on the TV, scanning through the list of channels to find something interesting to watch. 
Tristan curled up in her favorite oversized chair with Brutus in her lap and pulled up the internet on her tablet. Blue lay on the floor near Jim's feet, her muzzle resting on her front paws and her brown eyes shifting back and forth between her two people. Tristan pulled up a search engine and typed in Scary Animals in Uinta County, Utah. Her dad had said their intruder was probably just a raccoon, or at worst a coyote. In either case, no threat to them inside the house. She wanted to know what else it might have been. She wasn't used to living in such a desolate area and imagined bears or mountain lions stalking the unincorporated county in search of a canine snack. She laid the tablet on one overstuffed arm of the chair and watched as the search engine populated with links to websites. She scrolled down the list with one hand, rubbing the terrier's soft, floppy ears with the other. Brutus, apparently having forgotten all about the incident in the backyard, was nearly asleep and only turned his head a little to give her better access. Links came up for sites with taglines like Animal Control, Division of Wildlife, and Utah Fur Bearer Guidebook. Then there were the ones that really caught her eye. Bigfoot sightings in Utah, UFO hunters, and is Utah Ranch the strangest place on Earth? Tristan glanced up at her dad. He was kicked back on the couch, engrossed in the latest episode of his favorite detective drama. She chewed on the inside of her bottom lip for a moment, then clicked on the last link. There were photographs of scenery almost exactly like what she could see from their yard. Red rock and tawny sandstone, dry areas with sagebrush and sparse weeds, greener spots with cottonwood trees and willow stands. There were maps as well, some just line-drawn with names of the highways and rural routes, and some that were satellite images showing elevations and the contours of the land. One map had little pushpins scattered across it, and when she moved the cursor onto one, an info bubble appeared. The pushpins marked where sightings and strange occurrences had been documented over the last four decades. Unexplained lights in the sky, cattle mutilations, and sightings of odd, unclassified animals made up most of these. Tristan didn't realize that her mouth had dropped open while she went through them, but she wasn't sure whether she should laugh at all this or start to worry. The center of all the phenomena was a ranch only a few miles northeast of their new house. It was close enough she would be able to ride her bike there if she wanted. T, did you hear me? She jumped, waking Brutus up. The little dog scrambled to his feet and jumped down from the chair. Time to hit the sack, Jim said, reaching down to stroke Blue's head affectionately. Oh, okay, she replied rather breathlessly. She'd become so engrossed in the website she hadn't noticed her dad's show had ended or that he'd turned off the TV, let alone that he'd been talking to her. Are you all right? He asked, thinking she looked a little dazed, as though she'd fallen asleep without realizing it. Tristan nodded and put on a smile for him. Yeah, I'm fine. He pursed his lips thoughtfully and then just nodded back. I'm going to let the dogs out one more time for a potty break. You go ahead and get ready for bed. She had bookmarked the site and was turning off the tablet when he said this. She glanced back up at him quickly. Are you sure? He cocked his head at her question. I don't want to clean up a mess in the morning, so yeah. You should take the gun out with you she added, standing up with the tablet tucked under her arm. So that's what's wrong, he thought to himself. He came to her and gave her a hug. 
We're safe here, sweetheart. You don't have anything to worry about. We'll just have to keep an eye on the dogs to make sure they don't get out of the yard. I still think you should take the gun, she said under her breath, but returned his hug. Come on, dogs, he called when he pulled away from her. Blue and Brutus raced each other to the back door, the smaller male dancing on his back feet in impatience to get outside. When he glanced back, Tristan was still standing in the kitchen doorway, her tablet held against her chest and a troubled expression on her face. Jim sighed, but sidestepped to the laundry room. When he opened the back door, the BB gun held in his other hand, he looked to see that his daughter was smiling at him. Go get ready for bed, he repeated, then followed the dogs out into the pitch-black backyard. Tristan didn't get a lot of sleep that night. Once in bed, with her covers tucked around her, she had got back online to check her email. She had a cell phone but had limited minutes, so most of her conversations with her friends were via email or social media. She had several emails from her best friend Lee, most of them notifications of posts on Facebook. One was just a simple sentence that stated, I miss you, T. Just reading that simple four-word statement was enough to make tears sting her eyes. I miss you too, Lee. She spent some time checking out her friends' posts, smiling at pictures of camping trips or shopping at the mall. When Brutus whimpered, she realized that tears were sliding down her cheeks. She tried her best not to let her dad see how much she missed her friends and her old life. The move from the city and his new position had been a big change for him, too. But sometimes she wished her parents had managed to just stay together until she was 18. Then she wouldn't have had to move out here in the middle of nowhere. She wouldn't have had to give up her entire life. Brutus whined softly, and Belly crawled over to the blanket until he was cuddled up against her. His button-bright eyes looked up into her face as he nudged his cold nose against her hand. It's okay, monster boy, she whispered, using the nickname that told him how glad she was to have him. I just miss my friends, that's all. At least I still have you. She set the tablet on her bedside table and turned on her side, curling herself around the little dog. She sniffed and smiled when he wiggled to get his tummy under her hand and rubbed his belly until he drifted into sleep. Outside, the wind was blowing, invisible fingers plucking at her window and thrumming beneath the eaves. But Tristan just kept rubbing the dog's stomach and reminding herself that Dad was right there in the next room, and he had bigger guns than the one hidden in the laundry room closet. Tristan walked around the backyard with the poop scoop, looking for doggy landmines. The sun shone hot from a cloudless cyan sky, and the wind from the night before was nowhere in evidence. Blue lay in the narrow slice of shade cast by the overhanging roof of the house, panting lightly in the dry air. Brutus followed behind Tristan, little black nose busily sniffing through the grass. Her dad had gone to work this morning as usual, but until school started, she pretty much just hung around the house. She had a list of chores that needed to be completed each week. One or two items was taken care of each morning, shortening the list and allowing her the rest of the day to do whatever she wanted. When she finished cleaning up after the dogs, she went back into the house and put the breakfast dishes into the dishwasher. The load of towels in the dryer needed folding, and once they were put away in the linen closet, she had the rest of the day to herself. 
Dad had promised to bring home pizza for dinner so she didn't have to worry about taking anything out of the freezer to thaw. Eventually, she found herself back on the website she'd been looking through the night before, the list of incidents documented that were just as unbelievable now as they had seemed the first time. Yet, she couldn't just close the webpage and forget about it. She didn't know that she believed in UFOs or aliens, but even if she did, why would they come to a backwater area like this? When she came upon a section of cryptozoological evidence in photographs documenting the tracks and traces left behind by what were claimed to be alien or unclassified creatures, she had an idea. She set the tablet aside and went to get her digital camera out of her closet. She turned it on, checked to be sure the battery was charged, and went back outside. The dogs followed her, but when she went to the side gate, she made them stay behind. I'll be right back, guys, she said, latching the gate. You can watch me through the fence. Then she followed the fence around their landscaped backyard until she was directly behind the house again. This was where the dogs had been barking so stridently the night before. This was where her dad had stopped for so long to gaze through the fence, his little flashlight attempting to cut through the darkness with little result. Tristan gazed across the field, looking for anything that seemed out of the ordinary. But it was just sandy ground covered sparsely with weeds and knee-high june grass. A few clumps of sagebrush were scattered haphazardly, until at the end of the field several trees grew near a rusted barbed wire fence. There was nothing moving out here now, except for the occasional flicker of butterfly wings or the rapid leap of sand-colored grasshoppers. She checked to see that her camera was still on, then slowly walked toward the trees, eyes scanning the ground for tracks or anything odd she could take a picture of. Inside the chain-link fence, Blue whimpered and Brutus yipped, but she ignored them. She saw some bird tracks, little three-toed scratches in the sand, and then what looked like the wavy marks left by a snake. Round black pellets in a pile confirmed that there were rabbits in the area, whether or not they'd been out here last night when the dogs were freaking out. As she got closer to the shaded area of the trees, she saw a line of cloven hoof tracks that must have been from deer of some kind. She took pictures of all of these to at least show her dad when he got home. But none of this was out of the ordinary. He must have been right, she thought. It must have just been some local wildlife moving through the field that caught the dog's attention. Tristan sighed, letting the camera fall to dangle from its lanyard around her wrist and walked between the trees. There was still no breeze, the air so motionless and hot it had weight, and the shade felt several degrees cooler. She reached up to brush one hand across her forehead, grimacing at the glaze of sweat, and wiped her palm against her shorts to dry it. From behind her, Brutus was still barking, and she turned to glance back at him. You can see me right here, she called, exasperated but affectionate. She waved her arms, knowing by his reaction that the terrier could see her among the branches. I'm not going anywhere, noisy. Now pipe down. I'll be back in a minute. She turned back, ducking under the lowest limbs while she checked the mostly bare earth near the tree trunks. Behind her, inside the fenced yard, Brutus kept barking, and now Blue was whining and jumping up on the fence. That was when she saw the tracks. She cocked her head to one side, trying to decide what they were. 
Dog tracks? She whispered, brows drawn together as she lifted the camera again. That's a big damn dog, she muttered softly, then snapped several pictures of the tracks. That would explain why our dogs were so upset last night. She continued to herself and followed the line of clearly visible tracks that paralleled the tree trunks. One particularly clear print gave her an idea. She squatted down on her heels and put her left hand on the ground beside the track, pulling the camera back as far as she could while still keeping her hand in the photo. She snapped several more shots, the flash like a strobe in the deep shade. She looked down at her hand beside the paw print, felt a little shiver ripple up her spine. The main foot pad was nearly four inches wide. With the four toe pads and the clearly impressed claw marks, the track was as big as her hand. Honestly, it would have to be a Great Dane or a Mastiff, she said, wondering how a dog that size could have been back here last night and not be seen except for its eyes. An insomniac cricket chirped somewhere close by, and insects buzzed and droned. Absent-mindedly, she waved a pair of flies away from her face, still crouched down on her haunches. She looked up at the tree trunk directly before her and felt all the little hairs on her arms stand straight. The shade now seemed icy, and when she exhaled, she expected to see her breath as a cloud of mist. Slowly, making as little sound as she could, she raised her camera and took some more shots. Then, suddenly glad to hear her dogs barking and yipping from within the fenced yard, she carefully backed out of the low, shady branches and into the open field. For a long moment, she stood in the hot sun, waiting for her goosebumps to diminish. Nothing moved except the feasting insects that she could now hear so clearly. But she felt as though she was being watched. She wanted to be brave and stand her ground, but she didn't know what was watching her. And the dogs couldn't do anything to help her if something did happen. Quickly, she hurried back to the side gate, not caring if she looked like a coward to whatever watched her. The dogs met her with whimpers and wet kisses, and she gratefully petted them and told them what good dogs they were. Then she went back into the house and locked the back door. One last glance out the window showed the same mundane and unthreatening view, but all she had to do was look at the last few photos on her camera to know there was more out there than she could see. When Jim got home from work, presenting a box of hot pizza with a flourish, he found his daughter intent on internet research. She sat in her usual place, the soft, oversized chair, with the terrier curled up against her. Blue, other than raising her head to look at him and swishing her tail a couple of times in greeting, did not move from her spot right in front of Tristan's seat. Well, there's no school, so I know you're not doing homework, he said as he continued on into the kitchen. What's so important? Daddy, I think it was more than just a raccoon, or even a coyote, Tristan called to him. He sighed softly, closing his eyes for a moment. She was still worrying about what had happened last night. He should have expected it. She was a smart, creative girl. Because of that, she had quite an active imagination. He guessed he should count himself lucky she hadn't awakened with nightmares. There's a lot of information on the net about weird things happening around here, Tristan went on as he came back to the living room. Strange lights in the sky and sightings of big animals that no one can identify for sure. Sweetheart, 
I think you're getting a little carried away, he said, wanting to put a stop to this before it became serious. Have you heard of this ranch? She said, turning the tablet so he could see the screen. It's just a couple miles from here. It's had a bunch of different names, but the Utes that live in the area always called it Skinwalker Ranch. Do you know what that means? He realized then that she really was scared. Her blue eyes were shadowed, and her bottom lip inflamed as though she had been chewing on it, which she only did when she was upset. T, wait. Just slow down. What are you talking about? She held up the tablet wordlessly, her pale expression only asking him to look. Jim leaned against the arm of her chair and took the tablet from her, glancing at the lurid, red title. Unexplained phenomena rampant at Skinwalker Ranch. As he scrolled through the site, Tristan continued. This says there are all kinds of weird things going on, not just on the ranch, but in the surrounding area. I don't care about little green men or unexplained lights in the sky, she said as she stroked the little dog in her lap. But I do care when strange things go wandering around outside our house and scare the dogs. What if one of these skinwalker things decides to hop the fence? Tristan, he said, setting the tablet aside and kneeling beside her chair so she could meet her eyes levelly. Sweetie, you are getting way too worked up about this. We had a wild animal in the field behind our house. We're out in the country now. It's going to happen. It doesn't mean we're not safe. I would never let anything happen to you or to the dogs. You know that, don't you? She stared at him for a long time, her lips pressed together, as though holding back her objections. For one disconcerting moment, she looked just like her mother back when Jim had asked her to marry him pretty but a little shy and completely unaware of her importance to him. Then Tristan pulled out her little point-and-click digital camera and handed it to him. Just look, she said, and nothing more. He sighed softly and turned the camera to look at the screen on the back. As soon as he turned it on, a picture labeled 0001 was queued up. It was a picture of a bird track in dry, hard-packed sand. Several more like it followed the first, then a couple with soft, wavy lines drawn on the ground, a pile of rabbit scat, which almost made him smile, deer tracks going through the weeds and sagebrush. Then he got to the paw prints. He slowed, carefully perusing each photo to be sure he wasn't missing anything. The prints were well-defined, as though whatever had made them had been taking its time, in no hurry to move along. The picture of his daughter's hand next to the print, giving sudden scale to the size of it, made his bowels tighten as though in preparation of a hard blow. Where did you take these? He breathed, still gazing at the camera's screen. Straight behind the house, in the trees, she answered. Keep going. There were a couple more shots of Tristan's hand beside the track, and then the images changed to the trunk of a tree. The bark was thick and rippled with age, color ranging from dark gray to almost silver. Claw marks marred the bark for what appeared to be several feet, the wounds passing through the outer bark and into the gold-tinted wood beneath. There was also what appeared to be blood. What the hell? he said, staring at the small, impossible images. Some kind of carcass was hanging on the tree. The fur gobbed with 
blood and viscera, and Jim realized that the odd black lumps he was looking at were hundreds of flies feasting on the remains. Who would do something like this? Jim said, setting the camera down and gazing at his daughter once more. No wonder she was so upset. He was upset too, and had only seen the photographic evidence. She had seen the remains of violence with her own innocent eyes. I think we should leave, she whispered, still gently stroking the enraptured dog on her lap, before something bad happens. I'm going to go out and take a look, he started, quickly putting his hands over hers and continuing in a calm tone of voice when she began to protest. I want to see this myself. It's too hard to really get an idea of what is there on the small screen of your camera. The sun is going down, she protested, glancing toward the front window, which showed long shadows cast across the road from the lowering light. It could be out there waiting for you. That's why I want to go now, before it gets dark. He leaned forward to put his arms around her, worried as he felt her trembling. She had been through so much already in her life, and this kind of ugliness and violence was more than she should have to endure. I need to take a look at it myself. Then I'll come in and make some calls, to the sheriff's office or animal control. Tristan just shook her head, clutching at his shoulder with one hand. I don't think you should go out there, she whispered, remembering the greedy buzzing of the flies, the heavy weight of the hot air, and the feeling that something was watching her and smiling. Finally, he managed to disengage himself from the frightened girl. He went back to his bedroom and opened the gun safe tucked into the corner. There were several options ranging from the twenty-two rifle to the break-action double-barreled shotgun. In considering the possible close quarters and the fact that he intended to take a good flashlight with him to see better in the growing shadows, he chose a Colt forty-five handgun with a full magazine, plus an extra that he'd stashed in his jeans pocket. When he returned to the living room, he found Tristan standing in the kitchen doorway with Brutus in her arms. If anything, she looked more frightened now than she had when he'd gotten home. Tristan, he said, he put his arm around her comfortingly. I will never let anything bad happen to you. Do you believe me? She was silent for a moment, but finally nodded. Brutus wiggled as her grip on him tightened, and Blue whined at the back door. She had kept the dogs in the house since her foray into the field earlier that day. You can stand right here and wash through the door, he said as he crossed the kitchen with her to where Blue waited impatiently. The Aussie mix stood, her fan tail swishing against Tristan's bare legs. I'll only be a few minutes, just long enough to look at what you found and see if I can determine where the tracks are heading. Then I'll come back in the house and call the authorities. Tristan nodded again, wanting to tell him that they should just leave. When he opened the back door, Blue darted out at once, and Brutus struggled to get down. Against her better judgment, she let him go, and watched as the dogs raced around the yard, sniffing and marking their territory yet again. I'll be okay, Jim added, waiting until she met his eyes. Then he picked up the big flashlight that he grabbed from under the sink and followed the dogs out into the yard. Rather than staying in the house, Tristan walked out on the patio and watched while her father went around the corner of the house. A few seconds later, he reappeared outside the chain link. 
walking with a measured stride on the same path she had used earlier in the day. The dogs trailed him on the inside of the fence, and Tristan finally joined them. With Blue sitting relaxed on one side of her and Brutus standing on the other peering through the wire, the three of them watched Jim as he cautiously approached the line of trees. Tristan had put her hands on the fence, fingers curling around the crossed wires, and watched intently as her dad turned on the flashlight and ducked under the first trailing branches. The sun was down, a thick bank of clouds scattering the last rays of light across the sky. Crickets were already chirping loudly, making it hard for her to hear if anything was moving across the field where her dad stood. As if on cue, a soft wind began to blow, tossing leaves and branches on the trees and scattering sand and other detritus along the ground. Soon, she could barely make him out, except as a dim figure moving among the trees. The beam of his flashlight was bright and somewhat dizzying as it swept back and forth. Beside her, Blue began to make a soft rumbling deep in her chest. It was so low, Tristan would not have been able to hear it if she'd been any further away. She glanced down at the dog, noting that the bitch's hackles were standing up, and then gazed back through the fence. In the moving darkness beneath the trees, it appeared that her father had halted. The flashlight glow was still, perhaps shining on the desecrated tree trunk she'd photographed earlier. When Blue began to bark in earnest, Brutus joining her immediately, Tristan strained to see through the gathering dusk what had triggered their protective reflexes. The flashlight was still not moving, and she couldn't tell now if her dad was holding the light or had set it down to shine on its own. After a few seconds, she realized the dogs were not looking at the light. They were focused farther to the north, to something that was moving there. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Blue barked so viciously that foam flew from her bared teeth, and Brutus was putting so much effort into his vocalizations that he literally bounced off his feet with every snap and snarl. Tristan squinted trying to look where the dogs were looking, but all she could see were moving branches and tangled shadows. Dad, she called, unable to hold quiet any longer. Dad, come back! Blue jumped, racing away from Tristan to the corner then back, still barking madly. The terrier matched her, jumping up on the fence every couple of steps as though he would climb it and run to his master's aid. There was a crashing sound, sounding like a branch had fallen in the rising wind, and Tristan looked just in time to see two glowing orbs, apparently looking back at her. They were high, at least as high as the eyes of a tall man. It's in the tree, she whispered, her heart hammering against her breastbone almost painfully. It climbed up in the tree, Dad! She shrieked, shaking the chain link with her hands, fingers curled so tightly around the wires that they ached. Never occurred to her to wonder how a massive dog could have climbed into the trees. It's in the tree! Something big moved along the tree line, pushing branches out of the way. Whatever it was seemed to almost glide rather than lumber heavily. With the dogs barking and growling beside her, Tristan could hear nothing else. Then the flashlight beam spun, flickering with chiaroscuro shadows. The forty-five fired, a muted muzzle flash visible in the darkness. Then it fired a second time, and a third in quick succession. Tristan was screaming, the dogs momentarily startled into silence by the sharp cracks of gunfire. A bellow of rage or agony rang through the sudden quiet. Tristan had dropped to the ground and wrapped her arms around the dogs to keep them by her. Brutus struggled to free himself, whimpering quietly, but Blue submitted to her hold. Beyond the open fencing, June grass rippled in the breeze. Sagebrush tossed back and forth, and dead leaves skittered across the open spaces. The sky was a pale, strengthless blue, rapidly fading to black, stars already beginning to peer through the dark fabric. Across the field, hidden by intervening vegetation, the flashlight shone steady and unmoving. Dad? Tristan whispered, unable to force any more volume into her voice. Her heartbeat raced those of the dogs she clutched against her. Something moved, passing before the beam of light, and Tristan swallowed, her eyes wide as saucers as she tried to make out who, or what, was walking around out there. The light rose as it was picked up and swung back and forth, as though the holder was attempting to gain his bearings. The figure ducked, coming out from beneath the low-hanging branches and headed toward the house with a noticeable limp. Dad? She tried again, managing to get a little more oomph behind the single plaintive word. It's okay, T, Jim called, sounding as breathless as she felt. He shone the light into her face and then quickly away when she winced. Everything's okay, sweetheart. She got to her feet, 
fighting not to sob at her relief that he was all right, and tried to blink away the tears that suddenly flooded her vision. I was so scared, she called, hanging onto the fence again to keep from falling. I'm okay. We're all okay, he said, coming directly to meet her at the fence rather than walking around to the gate. He stuck the pistol into the waist of his jeans and put the flashlight under his arm so he could slide his fingers through the chain link and intertwine them with hers. The worst is over now, he added, favoring his right leg. In the dark and moving shadows and disorientation, he had stepped wrong and twisted his knee painfully. It would barely hold his weight now. Oh, what was it? she asked, beginning to shiver in reaction. The dogs danced around her feet, vying for attention from both their people. Jim shook his head wearily. Oh, I don't know, sweetheart, but I shot it, and it's dead. The sheriff's office can come out and determine what it is. I've had enough for one night. Okay, she agreed, suddenly so tired all she wanted was to lie down and fall asleep. I'll meet you at the gate, he said with a slight smile, and squeezed her fingers lightly through the chain link. As he pulled back and turned away from her, the beam from the flashlight tucked under his arm passed over the figure crouched just a few feet behind him. Its eyes glowed as though with an inner illumination, and the long muzzle wrinkled, lips pulling back to bear long, curving fangs. The night was filled with screaming. Tristan screamed in warning. The beast screamed in anger. And Jim screamed in throat-tearing agony as he was borne back onto the hard earth. The dogs seemed to be screaming as well, clawing at the fence as they tried to get through. Jim twisted, trying to reach the pistol he'd stuck in his waistband, but the weight of the creature was too heavy, and he could get no purchase. Jim screamed again, wanting to tell Tristan to run, to get into the house and lock the doors, to call 911, to get the guns— then the beast's wide maw closed on his shoulder and neck, and hot blood flooded from him in a torrent. He pushed ineffectually at the thing, trying to free himself. His head fell to the side weakly, and his last sight was of Brutus biting at the chain-link fence as he tried to get through the fence to defend his master. Two days later, Warren Thomas pulled into the driveway and parked next to Jim's late-model pickup truck. He got out of his car, glanced around at the quiet house and yard, then went up to knock on the front door. After several minutes with no response, he turned around and stared across the road. This house was the only one for several hundred yards in either direction, and there were no buildings in sight across the asphalt lane. Sagebrush and weeds dotted the landscape and a little more than a mile away, the sandstone ridgeline rose in the sky. Warren let his eyes trace the ridge, looking for a bit, unable to see the notorious ranch house from here. He knew where it was, however. He had been there before, although it had been years. He remembered two days prior when Jim had come into the construction shack-slash-office and told him about the goings-on the night before how there had been strange glowing eyes in the back field, and his dogs going ballistic over something hiding out there, about how much it had scared his daughter Tristan. Maybe, maybe he should have warned Jim then, but it had been years since anyone this far from the ranch property had had any real problems. 
It was hard trying to explain some of the weirdness associated with the location to someone who hadn't already been privy to it without coming across as a gullible fool. Warren glanced back at the house. No signs of movement, and the drapes in the front window were closed tight. He scratched his head thoughtfully, then walked around to the gate in the chain-link fence. It was hanging open, shifting back and forth a couple of inches in the fitful breeze. Jim, you back here? He called and went into the landscaped backyard. The grass was a little long, due for a mowing. A few flowers bloomed in a bed along the back of the house. The stone patio swept out in a semicircle and a couple of wrought iron chairs and a small table at one side. The back door was open, the screen gaping as it hung half off its hinges. Jim, he said again, wishing suddenly that he had brought his gun. A small furry face peeked timidly around the edge of the wooden door, button bright eyes half hidden beneath tousled hair. The dog's pink tongue hung from its open mouth as it panted. Hey there, little guy, Warren said gently, and crouched down to seem less threatening, holding one hand out in invitation. Where's Jim? Is he in there with you? The dog whined, but didn't retreat. It's okay, little guy. I won't hurt you. He wiggled his fingers and smiled when the dog hesitantly came out of hiding. He waited patiently while it cautiously approached him and held still to let his fingers be sniffed. When he was able to pick up the little dog, he deftly rubbed its ears with one hand while he turned the tag on the collar so he could read it. Brutus, huh? Does the name fit you, little guy? He stood then, still holding the dog in one arm, and went into the house. A quick search revealed a pretty substantial amount of blood on the floor in the kitchen, down the hallway, and apparently originating in a bedroom. Judging by the decor and the open gun safe in the corner, Warren guessed this was Jim's room. The other bedroom, painted pale violet and with posters of teenage boys on the walls, obviously belonged to Jim's daughter. There was no sign of her. Warren hadn't found the other dog, either. He went back out into the yard, still carrying Brutus, who seemed to have no desire to get down. There appeared to be a bit of disturbed earth on the other side of the fence, so he went over to look. Blood, and lots of it. Drag marks through the blood-muddied sand leading back toward a stand of trees. By now, he was pretty sure he was too late. Judging by what he'd seen, he probably would have been too late if he'd come over yesterday, when Jim did a no-call no-show at work. Warren pulled out his cell phone and called 911. As he spoke to the operator, he stared back through the warped chain link, which had been pulled away from the supporting posts and drooped down toward the ground. He gave his name and the address of the house by rote. Back among the trees, twisting and swinging slightly in a breeze, was something long and pale. He couldn't really tell from here what it was and was suddenly certain that he didn't want to know. I've dispatched a deputy, as well as an ambulance to your location, Mr. Thomas. Please remain there until they arrive, the operator said. Yes, tell them to hurry, he said, and hung up. Then he carried Brutus with him out to his car, and sat in the air-conditioned interior while he waited for the authorities. The dog curled up in his lap, apparently content to stay there forever.
That was Rose Blackthorn's In the Dark, as read by Michelle Kane. Michelle is from the Kansas City metropolitan area. She has a dulcimer and a baudrin that she doesn't have time to play because she spends her time working in a cube farm and being a mom to her six-year-old son and their 11-year-old Labrador. And, of course, narrating stories when she has the chance. She can be found on Twitter at ShellDavis72. Thank you, Michelle. Well, children of the night, the hour is late, and we've run out of tales to tell. For now. Support us on Patreon for access to ad-free episodes and bonus content. Right now, we have a classic tale of good and evil. Robert Louis Stevenson's Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And we've got more exciting content planned. Visit patreon.com slash tales to terrify to sign up. Or if PayPal's more your style, you can support us via the link near the bottom of our homepage at talestoterrify.com. And if you've got a minute to spare, we'd love it if you'd pop over to Apple Podcasts Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and leave a rating or a review. Ratings and reviews are huge to a volunteer-run podcast like ours. They keep us on the charts and help us to seep into the ears of new listeners. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Pete Morsellino, Meredith Morgenstern, Julia Zellman, and myself, Drew Sebastini with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment and additional music by Spencer Desparty. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Join us again next week as we chill you to your core with more Tales to Terrify. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. 
juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.